And uh, remember, uh, um, Ezra didn't want any help. He said, God, God will bring us on. And But here, Nehemiah wanted the help of the government, and it kind of was uh, fitting, uh, seeing the two different personalities and the two different jobs of these men, Ezra being the, the scribe, and here, Nehemiah being within the government. And he said, uh, verse 10, that when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, uh, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there has come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Now, this is interesting to me because obviously at this point, Sanballat and Tobiah, they don't know the, 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 the errand, as, as far as we can tell, of Nehemiah. He's a government official of, of uh, the Persian Empire that, uh, that Israel falls within a province that they are over. So as far as they know, you know, uh, Washington DC has sent out a, sent out a representative to go see what's going on. Right. And, uh, so it's interesting here in the, here that Sanballat and Tobiah are grieved exceedingly that there's someone to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And, uh, we'll come to see later some of the reason of their grieving and, uh, but he said, so I came to Jerusalem and, and was there three days and I arose in the night and I and some few men uh, with me, neither told I any man of what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I'm going to stop there. And, you know, there's something sad and humbling to see an institution or a nation or a family or a church that was once great fall into ruin. It's a sad thing to see. It's a sad thing to look at our own nation. And it's we can't deny it anymore. We can't explain it away anymore, excuse it anymore. We can't you know, say, well, you look at it this way and I look at it this way. No, friend, we're in decline. We're not like we used to be. The nation as is in such a place of disrepair right now. I, I, I look at it as the condition we looked at. I mean, if you remember watching England, uh, even you know, 20, 30 years ago and some of the weirdness over in England, I remember seeing video or, uh, you know, newscasts and you'd see him over there and the, the hair was weird and the, you know, the mohawks and the piercings and all of this stuff. And I thought, man, they're so weird. And now look, that's where we are now. I mean, and you can't deny we have come to a place of ruin and it's a sad thing to see. It's a, it should be a humbling uh, thing to see, but you know, you go to see the ruins of the Colosseum in Rome, or you go to see the pyramids at Giza, which I'd love to see. Have you seen that? Have you gone to the pyramids? I th- yes, that, I would love to go uh, see some of that. But those, really, those those structures are only uh, slightly a monument of what used to be and the the grandeur of what they once were. The great Roman Empire that's gone, right? Egypt is just very small on the world stage today, and all of that remains. All of that which remains, really, watch, it's, it's a reminder, reminder of a great past. But that's all it is, a past. It's a past. You know, there's reminders as well of churches that were once great beacons of light. There's reminders all over the place that are a shell of what they once were. There are reminders of, of colleges that were great institutions, mightily used of God, that are just a shell of what they once were or gone altogether. Hey, we can look across the landscape and even in your own life and some of you, in the, as long as uh, some have been on the planet, can look over the past and you can look at the future and you can look at some of the families that you knew years ago that were great families and, and mightily used of God and you can look at them 
today. And it's a sad, sad thing to, to watch of where they've ended up and where they've gone and what they're doing today. And I remember there was a, a, a certain man who used to travel a lot and sing in uh, independent Baptist churches. Uh, did you remember Rick Ballack? Did he ever come? Up through New Jersey, he was all, all along the eastern seaboard a lot, up and down, and and a great singer, a great uh, testimony. And I saw him, uh, something online of him just before he had really just before he had died, and he had died kind of young, and uh, just singing carnal worldly music, just worldly music, nothing to do, not wasn't traveling anymore, wasn't in a church anymore, had nothing to do with it, and just just like anybody else, and just living it up in the world. I tell you, he didn't live very long after that. No, he did not. We see these markers all over the land, like, like, like gravestones of the dead. But I think one of the greatest tragedies of these markers of what, what once was, and remember, this is what Nehemiah is coming into, right? He's coming into a, a broken down nation that was once ruled by David, that was once, I mean, just known around the, the known world at the time as a great, mighty nation during the early reign of uh, Solomon, you know, the Queen of Sheba coming up and saying, the half hasn't been told. I mean, your servants are happy and the, they sit at your feet to hear the Proverbs. And, and it was a great testimony of the greatness of God. And the Bible says of that Queen of, uh, of Sheba that she left and, and, and uh, there was no more spirit left in her, it says. I think she came up with this pride of saying, yeah, uh, whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up and see what's going on. And she left going, whoa, this is incredible. And she, she even acknowledged the God of heaven did this. I think Solomon at this time in his life spent some time witnessing to this queen, letting her know who really built all of this. I love that. But you know what? Nehemiah's showing up now. It's all gone. It's, it's, it's just, it's a blip in the past of what it once was. And I think one of the greatest tragedies of this is the effect it has on the lost world. On the lost world, right? Remember when, when Nathan went to David and said, Thou art the man, right? Remember what he told him? You've given the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme. I think that was one of the greatest tragedies of the sin of David and Bathsheba is that the, the lost pagan world got to watch the destruction of home. God said, I'm sorry, you know, this, the sword's not going to leave your home. And oh, it didn't. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. I just read this morning, Absalom, Absalom, oh, Absalom. I would have died for thee, oh, Absalom. The sword never left his house. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. What a reproach. Watch, what a reproach when we give the world a reason to mock God. To dismiss the truth of the Word of God, I know there's always going to be detractors. I know there's always going to be those that are that are that are going to argue and and things like that, and they're going to try to pick at us and things. I, I understand that. I understand that. But I'm telling you, sometimes we live in such a way that, I mean, it's just easy pickings for them. Easy pickings. And I want to look tonight, hopefully quickly here, on repairing the reproach. That's the title tonight, Repairing the Reproach. And here's Nehemiah. He's getting on the road now, right? He had a, he had a burden. He gave his burden there to, to, uh, to, um, to Artaxerxes there. Um, and uh, 
He, uh, I, I've got lost here. Yeah, it was Artaxerxes. For, for a moment, I'm like, that's not Ahasuerus, that's Esther. Artaxerxes, I was right. He gave us, he's told Artaxerxes his, his reproach and, uh, or his burden, I'm sorry, he, about the reproach, his burden uh, of Jerusalem. And, and uh, he had a plan ready to go. He said, this is what I'm going to need. When the king said, sure, that would be fine. And it, he moved this plan into action. He's getting on the road now. He's going forward. And listen, this might sound really obvious, okay? This might be a real obvious statement. But if you're going to accomplish something, if you're going to accomplish something, you've got to get at the road some point to get to your destination. There comes a time, if you're going to type the address into Google, right, you're going to have to eventually get in the car, start it up, wait, this one, start it, or push it, start it up, right, put it into gear, however your car does that, back out of the driveway, put it into drive, and go and get to your destination, all right? You, you've got to do that. And this is what Nehemiah has done, right? He's done the, he, he is on the road, and he is heading to the destination uh, where he believes God wants him to be to work, you know? Action it is. It's action. How do we do this? Well, you know, in finances, you've, if you say, well, I believe I want to be debt-free, but you have a thousand reasons why you don't want a... Oh, I'm sorry, no. Why you can't find a job... <laughs> Right, you're never going to be debt free. You're never going to, you, you, you won't be. What, what's going to happen? You eventually got to get on the road and get a job and save some money and co- stop spending other money and maybe listen. Okay, maybe listen to Dave Ramsey and not you know Congress and Senate, right? Because they're not really good at saving money and paying off debt, are they? Right. Finances. What about our walk with God? Right. You know, you know, people say, I just want to be closer to God. I just want to get closer to God this year. Well, can I tell you how you get in the car and turn the turn the ignition on with getting closer to God? It's called obedience. It's obedience. You want to start on you just want to get on the road to getting closer to God. Start with obedience. John 14, 15. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. First John 2, 3. It's really easy to remember. One, two, three, John. One, two, three. First John, two, three. I like that. Hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That word there, no, gnosko, not only is it uh, uh, just a, a, a knowledge base, it also means this, listen, to learn to know, to come to know, to get a knowledge of, uh, 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 to perceive, watch this, feel. People say, I just don't feel like God is very close to me. I just can't, he doesn't feel close at all anymore. Yeah. You go on to that same word, it's, it's, it's also spoken of, of a relational. Adam knew Eve and conceived. Yeah. It's relational. It's relational. 1 John 2, 3 says, Hereby do, we do know that we know him. How do you know if you're close to him? How do you know if you're, listen, if we keep his commandments? Can I tell you this tonight? You can, you can read the Word of God and, and learn the Word of God and have an academic knowledge of God, but you will never get close to God until you begin a life of obedience to God. That's where it is. You want to get on the road getting close to God? Start obeying Him. You want to get on the road to health? That's another one, hey? People say, I, I, I need to get healthier this year. I, listen, know what I did the other night? I got on my bicycle. I said, I'm going to ride up to the... Post up uh, the mailbox, not the post office, that's 30 miles away. I'm going to ride up to the mailbox and get the mail. That's what I'm going to do. That's a good idea. About killed myself. 
Oh my goodness! It's only three quarters of a mile one way. You thought that, or from the house? Yeah, about it's three quarters of a mile from the end of the driveway to the to the road, to the paved road. I mean, we're on a road. It's just dirt, but to the paved road. And it, but there's some hills in there. I forgot about. You don't think about the hills driving, you know. Now my dog ran the whole way with me. He was just fine. Yeah, and I got the mail and I came back and thought, oh, I went and sat down. I had a whole all sorts of work that I thought I was going to do that night. And I thought, eh, I think I'll just take it easy. <laughs> yeah, health. Yeah, you might want to say, I want to get, I want to, get, I want to get in shape. I want to lose weight. I want to co- go compete in a triathlon. Well, you know what you do, right? Right? You might want to stop eating. You know, that's kind of like getting in the car, right? Maybe cut off the appetite if you want to lose weight. If you want to do a triathlon, maybe you should maybe just start by jogging. You know, you might want to start there. What am I saying? You know, if we want to get to a destination, action has to start, okay? Right? You can have great aspirations. You can have uh, great aspirations and great godly desires to do something, but aspirations and desires don't accomplish anything. You got to start. You got to start. Look at verse 9. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Right? He has a burden. He has a plan. He has action. But look at this. Opposition. Opposition. He's on the road. He's getting to the destination. he's, He's fulfilling this burden that he has. Opposition. See, remember Ezra? Ezra said, no, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want help, right? Nehemiah says, no, I want help. And so he sends them there with this military escort. So Nehemiah makes the four-month journey. Four months he journeyed from Shushan to Jerusalem. And they came to some of the governors. That's, what, that's who Sanballat and Tobiah were. There were some governors that were installed there by the Persian Empire. They also had authority from the king. They did. They had some authority. And it seems like there's going to be a power struggle that's going to exist here the entire time that the wall is going to be uh, rebuilt. But, so there's opposition. But notice here, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. He arrived. He got there. Right? Yeah. God says, maybe God, the Holy Spirit has told you, put somebody on your heart to witness to. Well, you know what you do? You get in the car, right? You get in the car. You take the drive through the country. You find the house. You go knock on the door. Right? Small talk. Give the, right? Yeah, absolutely. Action. He got to where he was going. He got there. I like that. He had a burden from God. I know this is really obvious, but I'm going to point it out anyway. Because the only reason that he's in Jerusalem right now is because he believed God. He prepared for the, for the journey and the, the mission. And he got on the road and he went. It's not that difficult. But notice, secondly, verses 12 through 15. He's going to take a survey of what's going on there. In Jerusalem, look at verse 12. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, 
which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. And uh, then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. So here it is at night, he's surveying the wall. He obviously doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to stir up any controversy. He doesn't want people to ask questions. I mean, they, I mean, this is not a huge, huge city at the time, okay? I mean, people are, you know, it's like uh, when we uh, lived in a town west of here over in Marionville, first moved in and, and uh, went to the city hall to pay our water bill or whatever it was. And the gal goes, yard looks nice. I'm like, how do you even know who we are? Well, you know what? When you move in a town of about 1,200, 2,200, it, it blossomed to 2,200. Uh, people know when somebody doesn't it doesn't in front there. It's really bad, you know. We're we're such rednecks because when somebody drives down our our road, I'm like, who's that? <laughs> what are they doing down here? They don't belong down here. I mean, you just know, right? Uh, so here, I, I'm sure if he was scaling the walls and surveying and taking pictures and had lines, uh, tape measures out, somebody would go, what are you doing? He wasn't ready for that yet. He's surveying the work. Why, why was he doing this? Well, I think prudence, number one. I think it was a good thing to do. He waited in Jerusalem for three days. Can I tell you, running into something unprepared is worse than not running at all? I've done, hey, listen, in, 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 I've done this when I was in working for companies in sales, and, and I, I knew if we touched this project, we would fail. And some people will have the, uh, have the opinion, well, just get it in here and we'll figure out. I said, you know what? No, I would rather get another shot at it later and then lose it forever. And we'd turn them away sometimes. Why? We weren't ready. It just wasn't, it wasn't a good time. Running to something unprepared is worse sometimes than, running, uh, than, than not running at all. You see, God, God, can I tell you, God's not in a rush for anything really. God is, God is not fretting and, and uh, going back and forth in a rush over, uh, over what the world is doing. He said, be still and know that I am God. Remember, Jesus waited four days at Bethany to go in to take care of Lazarus because he was going to uh, show them something. What did he tell the disciples? Tarry ye at Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Hey, the church was established. It was, uh, they had gotten their uh, marching orders. And uh, Jesus said, now just wait, though. In 50 days, hold on, wait till you get the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to go out with the power of the Holy Ghost. You'll accomplish much more if you just wait for 50 days. Nehemiah's waiting. He's waiting. It's prudence. There are already some enemies that weren't happy with him. Sanballat and Tobiah. He, he, didn't, he didn't want to upset, maybe he didn't want to upset the apple cart but, uh, without all of the necessary information. Prudence, but not only prudence, preparation. Nehemiah needed to assess the damage to get an idea of the labor and the materials it was going to require. What's he doing? He's counting the cost. I think Jesus said something about that, didn't he? About those, one who's going to go out and build, you know, that he doesn't first go out and, who who doesn't go out and count the cost first before he goes out and and, uh, takes on some project, right? We, We had to do a little bit of counting over across the street, just a little bit. Right? See if it add up. It doesn't add up, so we went anyway. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
He's assessing the damage. He's looking at the wall dimensions. Get this. I, I, let, let, let me give you a little bit of information about the, the wall. I like stuff like this. If it doesn't uh, excite you, I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. I get geeked out on stuff like this. The length of the wall around Jerusalem at this time was about two and a half miles long. Two and a half miles. The height, the average height of the wall is about 39 feet tall. The average width of the wall is eight feet wide. The walls contained 34 watchtowers, seven main gates open to traffic, and two minor gates that were, were, would, will one day be reopened by archaeologists. Yeah. That eastern gate still sealed off. You know, there's a Muslim graveyard right in front of that eastern gate, right? They believe that, that uh, no Jew would walk through a, through a, a, a Muslim graveyard believing, believing that, I guess, if Jesus could come back, when it says he'd come through that eastern gate, that that would stop him. But uh, it won't when he could go right over it. <laughs> he doesn't have to walk through it, right? But uh, big wall, a lot of work. Watch this. I think he just wanted his ducks in a row, amen, before he got going, before he approached the rulers to rebuild the wall. Notice the outcome of the survey. If you think about it here, what was he doing? There was spiritual preparation before he even got there. Yes, it was of God. God got him there. There is mental preparation. There's going to be opposition. Mental preparation. Physical preparation. It's a physical project. You're picking up stones and rebuilding a, wall, uh, a rock wall. Uh, you've seen the wall, uh, uh, Miss Barbara, you've seen the wall. You've been, I've been there and seen the wall. Anybody else been in Jerusalem seen the wall? It's huge. Yep, yep. It's a big place. Pretty big wall. Pretty, when you think and you look, now I believe that today's dimensions are a little different. I'm not sure. I think they've expanded out. But I may be wrong. There's some differences. But anyway, uh, it's big regardless. 52 days. We'll look at that later. I just gave it all away. Like you've never read Nehemiah before. Physical preparation, financial preparation. Everything takes money. Can I tell you tonight the gospel takes money? The gospel getting around the world, missionaries getting around the world, Bibles being printed, tracts being printed, lights turned on, gasoline for the vans. It all takes money. It all takes money. Yeah. So he did a survey of the work. He's getting ready. He's using prudence. He's using preparation. Verse 17, look at the presentation. Then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burnt with fire. Come, let us build up the walls of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Yeah. And Nehemiah is reminding them of the problem. It's a distress. Look what he says. Ye see the distress that we are in. I read an article a few years back. is uh, dated February of 2017. There was a ship out on the Bering Sea. It's that ocean, as you know, between Alaska and Russia. And some of the, some of the worst seas, uh, not quite as bad as Cape Horn, but some of the worst seas, 70 and 100 foot swells, those, uh, those seas can get. And uh, there was a, a ship that uh, began to go down, and they sent off their distress signals. But before anybody could find them, the crew and the ship, it sank, and the crew all died in those icy waters. Even if they have their proper uh, uh, 
cold water suits on, they can only survive about 30 minutes in those, in those waters. They're so cold. And uh, the distress signal went off. The distress went off, but it was too late, right? Nehemiah got his distress signal from Hananiah. And from Hananiah, I should say, when, when, when Hananiah came down to Shushan, he got the, he got the distress signal. And he was, told, he was told Nehemiah what the condition of Jerusalem is. It's in, it's in distress. What a word. It's in distress. Yeah. It wasn't by accident. No, this distress that Israel is in, follow, don't, don't miss this. The distress that they are in right here that Nehemiah is talking about, it didn't happen by accident. It was only because of sin. Wait, wait, wait. It didn't have to be like this. It didn't have to be like this. Yeah. Why are they in distress? Well, Jerusalem lieth in waste. Gates are burned with fire. Walls are broken down. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Jerusalem, Israel, that once, that once represented the power and the might of a covenant-keeping God, it, now it, it just, it's just representative of nothing but destruction and vulnerability. Anybody can t- come in and do whatever they will. Yeah. That's what happens in your own life, you know. When the walls come down, vulnerable to any attack of Satan. And then, and then, and then the distress signals go out and sometimes it's too late. It's just a mess. God's hand had been removed. I don't have time to go there, but over in 1 Kings chapter 9, God warned them. Several times in Deuteronomy, God warned them. Here in 1 Kings, it's the dedicatory prayer of Solomon. After that dedication of the temple, God came to him that night and said, I've heard you. I'm going to do it. He said, but if, if, you'll, if you'll follow me, if you'll obey, and your children's children... Right, there won't there won't cease to be somebody sitting on the throne. But if not, if not, you're going to be destroyed. He warned them. God warned over and over. And and you see here, broken down walls have no ability to protect them from outside forces. They are in distress. But notice here again, Nehemiah presents the solution. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. That's, that's a pretty simple solution, right? If you want to be strong again, if you want to be protected again, if you want to uh, uh, not be run over by every enemy that is out there and your wall's fallen down, well, hey, just build the wall back, right? Just build it back. If you have a fence down and your cows are getting out every day, you know what you do? You go back and you build the fence back up. It's real simple. You don't sit there and go, oh, my goodness, I don't know why them cows don't want to stay in. Well, it's because they have a brain so small we eat them. You know, that's why they don't stay in. They're dumb. They're like, oh, better grass, you know. Oh, better, what's this, right? That's why they die doing stupid stuff. I was working with a guy. We were up on this big sign one time down in Branson, and uh, he, I, I about died laughing up there way up high, and he said, yeah, I had a cow. We went on vacation, came home. She was dead, <laughs> laying there. She had stuck her head in a bucket of the backhoe trying to get water, got her head stuck in the bucket and died. Couldn't get out. I was like, yeah, that's why we eat them. They're stupid, right? 
No, you put the fence back. Yeah. You get goats, you put three fences back. Three high. Triple them up. They'll get out of everything, right? Fences, fences, fences. He said, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, right? Whatever the problem is, while there is, while there is air to breathe, he's saying, let's fix the problem. Let's fix it. He presents the purpose as well. Here's a solution. Well, here's the purpose. Look at this. Are you ready? And I'm about done. Why does Nehemiah want to rebuild, rebuild the wall? One of the reasons, look what he says, that we be no more a reproach. That we be no more a reproach. That's what God warned them of. They rejected God, and now they're a reproach. Do you think it's possible that there's nations looking at America now going, just shaking their head? Maybe America's become a byword. Let me give you something worse. You think there's churches out there that the world goes past and goes, Do you think there are believers who have interactions with people in this world who the world looks at them and goes, wow, I don't even do that. Isn't that what Paul told the church at Corinth? You're doing things that isn't even named among the Gentiles. (laughs) A reproach. Reproach means object of contempt, scorn, or derision. An object. Who are we the object of? Well, it could be the world, obviously. But worse than that is when you're a reproach to God. The adulterers and adulteresses know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. No, this is relational. We are in a relationship with the living God. And friendship with the world, God says, is like spiritual infidelity. Reproach. Nehemiah came back to Israel, now watch this, to reverse the course of a disobedient nation that became a reproach to God and by that became a reproach to the lost, unbelieving world around them. Hold on. There's good news in that, though. Did you hear that? To reverse course, to rebuild, to put back. Yeah. It, hey, it doesn't have to stay like that. No, listen, your life doesn't have to stay like this. No, friend, listen, we we all have consequences and some of those consequences of our actions are present through the rest of our life, but we can still rebuild a life to a place that that is a use and a joy to God and a testimony to a lost world. And this is what Nehemiah wants. This is the heart of Nehemiah, to rebuild Jerusalem. Why? So that they're not a reproach. 
just for his own pride, just because this is the hometown that I never got to live in? No, because he has a relationship with the God of heaven who has claimed this as his very own land. Do you know that God owns the world, but he calls Israel specifically mine? Yeah, it's pretty big. And Nehemiah wants God's uh, name right, to have the respect and the view and the, that, it used, that it once had here. That's what he wants. You know what's a reproach today? You know what is a reproach today? Powerless churches. What a reproach. Yeah. Powerless preaching. Yeah. No, I didn't say, you know, preaching at 120 decibels. Nothing wrong with that. I've heard some pretty powerful preaching of people that didn't get much above a normal talking voice in a room. And you went, oh, whoa. Anybody remember Jude? Not in the Bible, but Jude that would come to church over here with Audra's grandson. He walked out one time. What are you screaming about up there? <laughs> I wasn't screaming. Just excited a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, the power in the preaching starts in the heart of the preacher and the condition of the preacher's heart. And I know that's, that's pretty self-indicting. It is. <clears throat> I've been in services when or a certain I, I still remember the service and the individual preaching from Oklahoma uh, over by Tulsa there and just hadn't got about ten words out. Just kinda quiet. And it was like and I asked a friend later, So what'd you think about that? He said, Brother, I was ready to go to an altar about four minutes into his start into his message. The power of God was on him. Reproach. No Sunday night services. No Wednesday night services. Neighbors watching watching us stay home when we don't have to. <laughs> not when we have to, but when we don't have to. I know, they're not going to, can't be too bothered about what everybody thinks all the time. Yeah. I mean, you can go on and on and on. A reproach. Apathy. No urgency. Those are just the, the, the road to, to dwindling down to nothing. I think, I, I, I think churches are sending out distress signals. I think they're going off all over the place, all over the country, if you'd really watch it. While churches are closing and while members are losing, I think for the first time Barna said, uh, I, I think it was under under 50% of the population in the United States says they go to church regularly. I mean, it used to always be over 50% for, ever since they started, I don't know, from the early 1900s. I forget what the date was. But for the first time, it's dropped below that. Yep. Cults are growing. Distress signals firing off, left and right. Distress signals. Who's going to do something about it? We're in a heap of trouble, right? I mean, come on, we are. We're in a heap of trouble. 
there's some things that need to be rebuilt. I think one of the things that needs to be rebuilt, I, I don't even have this in my notes. It just comes across my head. Maybe it's wrong. I think trust needs to be rebuilt. I think the lost world has lost trust in the people of God. Yeah. It used to be, used to be, you know, uh, oh, that, that, that guy's a preacher. Don't say that. That guy's a Christian. Don't talk to them like that. Don't talk around them like You know, watch your language. You know, so-and-so, you know. I mean, that was, we remember that was fairly normal. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot that needs to be rebuilt today. Absolutely. Well, let me wrap it up here. Crimson Avenue Baptist Church is moving forward in our Jerusalem. This is where God's put us. This is our Jerusalem. Right. And all around us, preaching is broken down in our Jerusalem. Preaching is broken down. Doctrine has broken down. Oh, people don't even know what they believe. Like I told Brother Earl the other day, they don't—they don't even—they don't even have the—they don't even have the—the the right answer. I mean, it's not like they just don't believe something. They don't even know what to believe, although they think they do. You know, holiness is laid waste. This is where we are. And. Somebody needs to stand up and rebuild. Right. Somebody needs to stand up and rebuild what's been destroyed uh, in our nation. And, and I, I believe that, as we know this to be a fact, that it was the relationship of people with their God that built this nation to where it was. And it's gone. I was on a plane uh, headed to Boston, from Chicago to Boston, and the guy next to me was a scientist and he asked me a question. We were getting closer. We were actually coming into landing at Logan. And uh, he said, uh, he said, what did you think about, what, what did you think, this has been a while back, what do you think uh, about George Bush going into Iraq? Should he have gone in? You know, because I was a Christian right. <laughs> Should he have gone in? I said, no. He was kind of surprised. I said, because a democracy cannot work without the foundation of doing good unto your neighbor as you'd have them to do unto themselves. It doesn't work without the foundation of, of the Bible, of the Word of God. It doesn't work. It can't work. It'll fall apart. And I said, which is why our own nation is disintegrating right now, because that foundation's disintegrating. And he said, okay. <laughs> he was kind of He didn't know what to think. He, was, he actually agreed with me, but he didn't know why, whether he should or not. But he did not for the same reason. For the, but, uh, but, of course, uh, yeah. That foundation, when it gets destroyed, listen, it's crumbled here. And it needs to be built back up. How, do, how does that happen? Well, somebody has to get up and start building again. How do you do that? Well, I think it starts right here in our church. We just have to build. We have to build. Do I have time? Real quick, let me give you this. In Revelation, you have the seven churches. And I think some hopelessness came to being based on some 
incorrect interpretation of the seven churches of Asia Minor. And one of those was the church age theory, that each one of these is the seven church ages, and each one of these represents a certain age in the, in the church age. And here we are, ta-da, Laodicean church age. And uh, that was the, the, one of the most apathetic, lukewarm churches there was. And people came from that saying, oh, we're in, we're in the Laodicean church age. We're in the Laodicean church age. Well, I'm sorry, but if you take a grammatical, historical, and literal view of Revelation like we do the rest of the Word of God, I don't think that really, I don't think that really uh, fits real well. These were seven churches that all existed at the same time in the same area. They weren't church ages. They were not. And, and what I think this, uh, one of the great things that come out of this is this. Uh, you don't have to have a Laodicean church in whatever age you live in. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to succumb to saying, oh, well, this is just where we are. And everybody just goes and kind of drags their head and waits for Jesus to come. I mean, how do you occupy till I come with that type of an attitude? You can't do that. And so, you know, we are not living in the Laodicean church age. We can have a powerful, growing church in the days that we are living. It's possible. It absolutely is. Yeah. So we just have to rebuild. You know, we have to, it starts here, right? And it goes out from there. We rebuild. How? I don't get on the road and start, right? Right? Plan of action, prepare, all the things that Nehemiah did. Know, know that there's going to be opposition. What do, what do you mean? How, how do you start that? Well, like everybody in here already does. Faithfully attend church. Faithfully give. So you can faithfully go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. And uh, faithfully live out a holy life before the unbeliever. Faithfully serve God where he has placed you. Pray and plead and fast. I mean, just, just get on the road and start. Everything that used to be done just do it just do it rebuild distress signals are going off and crimson avenue baptist church can rebuild what is around us by building us and going out and rebuilding what's around us do you realize hearts vote we're we're so we I understand we get, I mean, I mean, the world gets to a place where it's, the inertia is really hard to stop the inertia of what's going on sometimes. But hearts vote, friends. And when hearts vote and become a lover of the Word of God, a lover of God, they vote differently. <laughs> they should. Right? If not, then you can, they want to stay a Democrat, then you can just pray them over to Satan. You know, then that'll be fine. No, <laughs> just kidding. Sort of. Rebuild. Rebuilding. So that we're not a reproach anymore. So that we're not a reproach. Where does it start? It starts with you personally. And when all of us personally begin to rebuild in our lives, the church rebuilds. And when the church rebuilds, we cease being a reproach to God and cease being a reproach to the world around us. Are you saying our church was a reproach? Actually, no, I'm not. But there's always areas that need to be rebuilt, always. May God help us to keep the mentality, to keep the heart, to keep the burden, right? To, to build in our lives individually and build our church in such a way 
that we're never reproached to the world around us, and that we would be able to affect, <clears throat> affect our Jerusalem like we're supposed to. May God help us with that. Rebuild. Who, who, who will build? Who will build the wall? Will you? Will you? Our Father, thank you tonight. It's undeniable our world is in disarray. It's undeniable churches are just, so many of them are just a shell of what they used to be. It's undeniable, maybe even in, in our own personal lives, we can look and your Holy Spirit would show us areas where walls have come down, where, where distress signals may be going off, and where things need to be rebuilt. And we're thankful tonight that it can be rebuilt. We're thankful tonight that uh, wherever we are, Lord, we can make change and we can turn back to you. And God, it starts in our heart. So Father, would you do a work in our heart tonight? You give us a yearning and a burden and a desire to be in a relationship with you and right with you and in obedience to you like we ought to be. And then help us to build where we are. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight and we'll close here with this. The piano's going to play in just a minute. However, Lord's spoken to you. Will, you. will you help build? Start in your own heart and life. Will you build? Any, any walls down? Anything allowed to lay down that once was built high? Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer tonight. Good to see everybody out. And uh, Lord willing, Saturday looks pretty cold and rainy, I think. We'll be having men's prayer here at least. If for some reason the weather changes and makes it conducive, we'll be out knocking doors. Had a great